0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you may be seated. So there seems to be a tension in today's reading between the law and keeping the law, and um, a faith or maybe we would say something like a spirituality that runs counter to the wisdom that comes through knowledge. So our Old Testament lesson is the giving of the law, and then Psalm 19 that we chant it together, that the, the knowledge of God comes through the creation, but then the second half of Psalm 19 is that uh, God reveals himself through the law, through the written word. And so we, we sense that, that tension, I think, in, in the readings tonight about what it means to kind of know these things and obey them, but also, as we will see in Paul's kind of uh, injunction that... Um, that there's, there's a kind of wisdom that's actually a foolishness, if you will, so uh, a little contrary to what we might think. So, you know, we have the wise, or perhaps more correctly stated, the so-called wise people, the scribes, the debaters, the sign-seeking Jews, as, and the, the wisdom-seeking Greeks. These are, in Paul's estimation, the so-called wise people, and the Greek word for scribe there could also be translated as scholar, and that might be important given the makeup of this church. But over against these folks, we have the fools, right? So over against these learned people, these so-called wise people, we have Paul's fools, those who follow the folly of God all the way to the cross of the crucified Christ, and I'm pretty excited about my multiple alliteration in that sentence, so I'm going to read it again, <laughs> the folks that follow, the, fo- the fools who follow the folly of God all the way to the cross of the crucified Christ. So this leaves us as Christians, I think, asking, how do, was I, how do I live as a fool for Christ without falling into the trap of intellectual arrogance? Right? In other words, how do I live the kind of life that Paul seems to be suggesting, but not dismiss the reality that I know things, right? that I, that I have some knowledge, that I, that I exercise that knowledge, I, I trust wisely, but again, how do I become a fool for Christ's sake while not becoming intellectually arrogant or falsely humble, about what I know and again I think this is a particularly relevant question for this parish which is full of PhDs and sidees and honor students and lawyers and all sorts of smart people in general and I've noticed a couple of the PhD and one of the JD's didn't show up tonight they must have hinted must have known what <laughs> the conviction would come tonight so so I'll preach to the ones that are here so so we, we, we need to wrestle with that here in this Lenten season, right? I mean, this is what the texts are giving us an opportunity to do this evening, is to think about, hey, I'm all for being a fool, right, in the Pauline sense of it, but how do I do that in a way that, again, not just falsely humble or some sort of intellectual arrogance, right? Like, I know what I know, but I'm going to act like I don't know that so that I can claim to be a fool for Christ. So I actually want to start with our reading from John, the Gospel, this evening, Today's reading from the Gospel of John warns us, I think, about the hazard of just keeping kind of an intellectual faith, right? In other words, you know the law, you know things, but yet there you are desecrating the temple to turn a prophet, and this with the Passover at hand, right? So it's kind of like the Passover is coming, let's maximize the profit, right, Let, that we can make. And By the way, I actually started writing the word prophet as in one who speaks forth from God and had to cross it out the other day. So like a prophet making money, making right a prophet by selling things in the temple itself. And so some sense of where like they know what's right, I'm sure, but they're not doing it, right? I mean, these scribes and Pharisees were all over Jesus for everything he did, it seemed like that they thought was breaking the law. But yet here we've got the temple full of people. Right? selling and profiting off of this trade and this business. And again, all of this in light of the fact that the Passover is at hand, it's, it's maximizing it right up to the last minute, perhaps. In this case, zeal is better than perhaps all the religious learning one could muster. Right? For surely these men and women knew better given the proliferation of the teachers of the law. So Jesus comes in and cleans house, basically showing that zeal for my house, right, which is a quotation, from the Old Testament, uh, Psalm 69, that, that zeal is better than turning this prophet, that zeal is better than the supposed learning that these people have, but yet don't seem to know what to do with because of the way they're behaving. Right Now, Jesus also uses this as an opportunity to be prophetic about his death and resurrection, but what I want us to see tonight in particular is that these people should have known better, and they don't. They're learned in the law, they are surrounded by people who love to posture, that they know how to interpret the law, yet there they are. So Jesus, more zealous than perhaps relying on any kind of intellectual insight here comes in, drives them out. 1 Corinthians, our reading from 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul warns us through a quotation from Isaiah. 29 verse 14, that God dismisses human wisdom and learning as a means of salvation. So Paul's first concern is that these Corinthian believers who we know, uh, I think you may know this contextually from 1 Corinthians, right? These are some folks that are struggling to be moral people in general, and certainly to live into the fullness of the gospel that has been presented to them. So Paul, quoting from Isaiah 29, verse 14, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. The context there is because even in Isaiah's day, people were dependent on their knowledge and what they knew to save them. So Paul flips that on his head. He says, no, that is, that is not what happens. Like Paul is dismissing that kind of human wisdom. That is not what you need, right? Paul, might, Paul himself is highly educated. He might say, "Like I'm not disparaging learning per se, but that's not going to save you. What you know doesn't save you, right? Rather, we are saved through the cross and the proclamation of the cross, which is at its root a stumbling block. And literally, the Greek word here, as you may know, is scandalon. It's a scandal." to those Jews and, to the, and folly to those Greeks that are seeking signs and wisdom." Again he's not saying seeking signs and wisdom is bad per se, it's just if you're, if you're trusting in that for your salvation, that's a problem. You're not going to be saved in that way. You have to embrace the scandal of the cross. You have to preach the cross, right, and this is I think such an important Lesson to learn, um, you might not know this, but across our deanery of priests, almost every time we're together at some point, another priest in the deanery will make a comment about, oh, at Epiphany, I mean, you've got all those smart people, <laughs> right? You're a university parish is the, is the way we often get labeled. And I say, yeah, that, that's true. And even the ones that have nothing to do with the university are really smart people as well. You know, we've got the beer king of Anaheim in the congregation as well. I mean, that's a kind of wisdom that's folly to many people. But let's face it. Come on, Scott's onto something that the rest of us are not onto here, right? So, and they're right, but but I say, but we're not we're not trusting in that. That doesn't that doesn't. We try not to let that get in the way of just simply trying to understand what God is teaching us and God has for us, right? We still try to preach the scriptures. We still try to to wrestle with the truth of the faith and theology, right? And so I hope we're not those people seeking signs and wisdom like those first century um, Jews and Greeks that Paul was talking about. Again, not because that would be bad. It's, it's fine. I love learning. Absolutely love to learn. I'm a very curious person. And, and these days, we, we got rid of our cable TV, right? We finally just pulled the trigger on paying for channels we never watch and mostly... Like, mostly I was paying to flip through channels and decide there was nothing on, so, so we got rid of it, and, and, but we, we got YouTube TV, because in our house, you got to have sports, right? There's just too many people in our house that like sports, so we got to have some sports, but that's forced me to have a very limited number of channels, so thankfully, Chris's, Chris, uh, Christina's mom pays for Netflix, and we just use the account, right? And unfortunately, Christina let that be known the other day, so we're probably gonna have to get our own account because Christina's mom's like, yeah, I should cancel that. No, we're using it. Don't cancel it. But but I've discovered the documentary section of Netflix. I love it, right? What are documentaries for if not to learn things, right? Now, we had channels before like History and Nat Geo and all that stuff, but that didn't interest me nearly as much as these documentaries do, right? And so I'm, I can already see that I'm gonna... I'm going to run through these documentaries fairly quickly and they're going to have to hopefully re- replace them with somewhat rapidity. But the point is I love to learn, but I can't fall back on that and think that my learning provides me all the answers like these folks were doing. And so, so Jesus basically says, hey, what are you doing to my father's house? You should know better than this. You are surrounded by people who are willing to teach you and tell you that this is wrong because they constantly tell me I'm wrong. But yet, look what you do. And then Paul says, no, we need to believe in something as foolish as the cross. Which makes no sense intellectually. But yet, is the way to be saved. I mean, this this is coming out of that, that Greek culture, right? Where, like, you go to oracles to hear words, right? Where you hear messages and you believe in those messages and you, you chase knowledge and, and those who use divination to come up with answers for things, right? That's the culture they're living in. They, they trust these supposedly learned people. And then Paul says, absolutely not. As one of those people, you have to believe in the folly of the cross. For those who are called, Paul says, that would be true wisdom, So for the elect, that's the word there, for those who are called, verse 24, those who are elect, this is true wisdom. This is how you can be really smart. You can be fools. Being fools is how you can be smart. Believing in the folly of the cross will make you the smartest people in the world. And I mean, he's absolutely on to something there. Again, not because we disparage learning and knowledge and and coming to not just know things but know them for their own sake and then working to come to truth but we can't trust in that we can't trust in our intellect we can't trust in any intellectual accomplishments whatever they may look like whatever they may they may be for 13 years i've often been the first person at biola to tell a student they're actually not that good of a writer I have some students who know that already. I'm a terrible writer, Dr. Peters, and I'm holding my tongue going, yes. Yes, you are, in fact. I just learned that myself, but I'm glad you know it too, right? <laughs> right? But, but sometimes I'm the first person to say, you know, you need some things you need to work on in your writing, and I watch them. They're devastated. They're devastated to be told that their writing is not great. Now, I'm not saying they they were just fed a lie all their life, but you know, it's, college is different. We expect other, you know, different things, and especially in an honors institute. And so, you know, but we can work together and, and, and improve that writing, that's the good thing. But like, also sometimes to tell a student, you know, like, yeah, I mean, your performance this semester, you earned an, an A minus, right? Like, but how will I ever get into med school? Wait, I, what, what, I'm, <laughs> I'm now stopping you from getting into med school? I didn't know that, here, have the A. No, in all seriousness though, like, But, like, okay, like, don't define yourself by these things, right? Don't define yourself by these things. It's okay to know what you know, not to be falsely humble about it, but not to trust in those things. I tell students all the time, if they actually knew what my high school GPA and SAT scores were, you would realize I have no business being a university professor. Absolutely no business. I'm not going to tell you those things because they would be scandalous to you, right? (laughs) But if you knew, you would be surprised. So I always felt like the greatest thing I had going into graduate studies was the fact that I felt like I didn't belong, right? That I had tricked someone, and therefore, if I could get through it as quick as possible before anyone found out, right, that's how I would pull it off. And I thought I was alone until one day Mike Atridge and I went to coffee. We both needed a break. We went to coffee, and we started talking at the coffee shop right next to the Faculty of Theology in Toronto. And turns out Mike felt the same way. He's like, I don't belong here. And I'm like, neither do I. Quick, drink your coffee. We've got to go right before anyone figures this out. We've got to graduate. Right, and I've told students who think about going to grad school, look, I went to grad school with people who were smarter than me, no doubt about it. But yet they didn't finish. And there's lots of different reasons people don't finish graduate programs. But when you feel like you don't belong, you've got a huge motivation to get through a program. And that helped me along the way. But again, I have a Ph.D. or two, and so I can't act like I don't. So I don't act like I don't, because that would be falsely humble. I did earn them. I have published a few books. Those are true things. I can't run around acting like I don't have those things or haven't done those things. That would be falsely humble, not the folly that Paul is talking about. But even in light of those things, realizing that at the end of the day, it all comes back around to the cross, that is what Paul is talking about. That in spite of those things... The cross is still the answer. And then Paul is talking about proclaiming it, preaching it. I was 18 years old when I went to Word of Life Bible Institute in upstate New York. Some of you know I went there. I've talked about it before. But maybe what I haven't shared with you before is one week, every quarter, we had to be involved in ministry. Well, I should say there were other ways. You had had to get this ministry you had to do ministry, and so for some people that meant a local church, but this is upstate New York, there's not a lot of local churches, and so they ran these week long programs. So, my first semester there, I'm, I'm barely 18 years old, and we go to New York City to do open air preaching. You ever seen this? 18 years old, put me on a block of a city, New York City taught us how to draw an audience to us which mostly just meant putting up a paint thing behind us and doing some basic paint stuff while you tried to share the gospel i was terrified right i have not no business doing this i i was like i was living in virginia like six months ago i've i don't belong here right i mean but no you can do this right okay so all week, I mean, hours every day, we did this, rotating through students, and then the, the people with this organization called Open Air Campaigners, the professionals, would show us how to do this, and, you know, during the week, my confidence really didn't grow at all. I, I came to realize, like, nope, the Lord is not calling me to this clearly, but w- what I didn't know is we were working up to something, and that working up to something was the weekend on a corner of Times Square. what? What? So it's my turn to go. And I'm looking across the street going, who are those people? Oh, don't worry about them. They're just people called the black Israelites. I didn't know what that meant. Maybe Kevin knows about them. He can tell you about it. But the point was, I said, what is that thing? That's a PA system. They're getting out of PA system. What's happening? I mean, these guys were like 30-year-old converts to to their form of that, right? And they had a PA system. And I'm over here, 18-year-old Greg Peters, right? Like, preach, just preach the cross. That makes no sense, (laughs) You don't know what you're doing. This makes no sense. Just preach the cross. Just preach the cross. Just preach the cross. And I did. And it did not go well. And I don't think I preached again that evening, which I probably was, to be honest with you, was really happy about. I couldn't compete with the guys across the street, especially when a couple of them found their way onto our side of the street to tell us we were in their way, right? I didn't know what was gonna happen, but the point was is the one thing was true, and that was preach the cross. That's all we're here to do is preach the cross. I might not have been the right person to do it. I'm not even sure if that was necessarily the right means to do it, but the message was simple, preach the cross. And so we did, I did. I don't recall if people came to faith. I don't know if that faith stuck. I don't know what decisions people made after we left. But they did teach me that, yes, it is about the cross, that I didn't have to preach answers. I didn't have to anticipate questions and preach answers. I just needed to get up there and talk about the cross. And again, I didn't do it well, but the content was good content because it was God's content. And so we focus on the cross in Paul's admonition, and we keep the law because of the cross. So when we read Psalm 19, when we read the Ten Commandments, we keep that law not because it's the law per se, but we keep the law because of the cross. We learn and value knowledge. Why? Because of the cross. I am so thankful that I personally chose to study theology. No offense, Kevin, or anyone else in here who has PhDs and other things, or graduate degrees and other things. For me, theology is always worth studying, right? So and I love the fact that I that I have been that I, I was able to study something as great as theology and that I get paid to teach it and to keep studying it, right? And so I, I value that knowledge in particular because it's theology, but for those who, who traffic in other kinds of knowledge, knowledge is good because of the cross. And so this Lent, what can we say if we say, this because of the cross. Think about that for yourselves this week. Not just that, you know, that I work, but do you work because of the cross? Not just that you parent, but that you parent because of the cross? Not that you're a student, but you're a student because of the cross. Fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. Take the opportunity to do that week and realize that God has entrusted us with the most basic thing, and that is the cross. And if we really want to be smart, we'll be fools. And simply realize that we do and should do everything in our life because of the cross. And if we simply do that, if we preach that through our words and through our actions, we'll be the smartest, wisest people walking the earth. See, and then I don't even have to be as ashamed of my bad SAT score or my GPA, because not only have I managed to earn some degrees, but I have the greatest wisdom available in the world, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.